welcome to another edition of Linking the Travel Industry, where we discuss popular and interesting travel industry posts which appeared on LinkedIn during the last week. And occasionally we might talk about stories which appeared elsewhere. We absolutely welcome audience participation. So if you have a comment on any of the stories we discuss here today, please raise your hand and we'll get you on stage. My name is Rian and I'm one of your hosts today. I am the CEO of Agentivity, where we help travel management companies gain insight into and control of their businesses, as well as achieve scalable growth through the effective use of their data. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this LinkedIn event. My name is Anne, and I work as a consultant in the travel industry, and I'm associated with the brands of LeapShift and Extortech. Hi, everyone. My name is Ash, and I am the Vice President of Sales at Traxo. Additionally, I host a weekly business travel podcast called What's Up in Business Travel. And this is Linking the Travel Industry. So thank you very much, guys. And how nice is it? We just talked about it to have Ash back on the show, right? Yes, he was so missed <laughs> last week. It wasn't the same. It wasn't the same. Well, <laughs> I appreciate it. I appreciated it. I really did. And it was really nice to hear all the wonderful comments. And I missed you guys, too. And it was really nice to be back. Well, he's saying of uh, we've got the bread, but not the jam. That was the best ever. So that was thank you very much for that. Bread. That was so good. Very nice to see some familiar faces in the audience there. Mohit, thank you for your attendance, as always. I see Mark, uh, George, Dirk, you're all there. Thank you. And everybody else we see there, we really appreciate you giving us your time. It's much appreciated. So we're just going to run through a few of the stories that I post on a Friday, and we've got a future story today, as we normally try and do with somebody that's going to come up and talk about that. Um, So my first story last week was about the trolling happening between United Airlines and Southwest Airlines. Um, Now, this is... I mean, Ash, I'm just going to hand this over to you. And what do you make of the story? They've created this website, right? Have you seen it? Have you been on it? What do you make of it? Well, here's what I think about it. Sometimes you just cannot get rid of the actual DNA of a company. To me, this is unbecoming of United, in my opinion. And they don't need to be doing stuff like this. They were doing so well, and we were talking about such wonderful things all this time about United on this week after week after week. And then this kind of took me as a desperation call. I didn't like it at all. I yeah I was ex- I wasn't expecting that. Now I, I I made a sort of a, a faux pas by not even telling the audience what it is we're talking about. So forgive me for that. But it was United Airlines was was trolling Southwest. They actually created a website called NotGroupC.com where they will actually send Southwest customers a reminder to check in 24 hours prior, so they don't get into that uh, Group C. And what did you make of this then? It is funny, um, I must say. You know, they're obviously looking at at, uh, at Ryanair, I think, who, of course, are the masters at this. Um, but but I must agree with Ash. It is it is uh, trolling. I don't know if it really is becoming, you know, not for United Airlines. Well, and the other thing is that if you're going to troll, why do you need to put all this like details at the bottom of your website, you know, basic economy tickets yeah. are not changeable, applies to flights between the US and I mean, it's like some lawyer, you know, looked at the trolling and said, well, I'm going to put some legal terminology so that we don't get sued or something. And it was like, okay, yeah. that defeats the whole purpose of trolling. Maybe you're right. Uh, I don't know. I, right? I kind of acted. You're right. And they probably did look at, um, like, answered at the others and say, how can we be as cool, right? And uh, it didn't, didn't fit them. But if okay. you have to look at others to figure out how to be cool, then you're probably not going to be cool. Very true. 
Very true. <laughs> so there's our t-shirt for the week, Ash. Be cool on your own, right? So there we go. Then I had uh, three stories about uh, airlines and Q3 results, and or not just airlines, but others as well. So the first one was Amadeus. They posted really strong results. I thought that was interesting. I want to come back to that in a second. The second one was Ryanair, who posted really, really good uh, results. And then astonishingly, Air Arabia, who increased their profits by 99% in quarter three. So very, very strong results. Ash, we talked about this before, where we just said quarter three seems to be the quarter for posting strong results. And then my only comment about Amadeus, which I want to get Anne's view on, is um, compared to the continuing decline in the share price of Sabre, it's interesting that Amadeus is posting strong results, right? It is and it isn't. I mean, I, I think we can clearly see that that Amadeus is taking the lead um, of the PSSs. And we know that the strong relationship between the PSS and the GDS, of course, is a profit-making machine. I'm, I'm not very surprised. It's an incredibly good result. Yeah, I mean, the numbers across the board, I think, are incredibly high for all the airlines coming out of the pandemic. And as you start to measure you know, demand and you connect the supply, which is definitely lesser than the demand, you're going to start to see profitability kick in. Emirates posted $1.2 billion dollars this half. Mm -hmm. So it's a total trickle effect. And I think the airlines are going to all benefit from it. The only thing I worry about now is that once you start tasting the profitability, you start to hold back on the supply so that you can keep the profitability going, right? So I think that there's going to be a little bit of that. And I think that's kind of a situation that the airlines are going to have to measure. And, you know, they've been losing money for so long now that they want to be able to recover as much of that as possible. So they're going to have a very controlled phasing of demand so that they can keep uh, all the numbers high. Um, and of course, their shareholders will expect them to do that. So I mm. think that um, you might see a little bit of that happening as well, which you know doesn't really help the travelers at the end. But nonetheless, um, it is uh, something that you'll see. And I think Q3 across the board and even Q4, I mean, Q4, I think, is going is to surpass Q3, by the way. Yeah, I mean, on that point yeah. of the end, I was holding back. I think the exception to the rule, as always, there is Ryanair, who um, we didn't post about it last week, but it's it's going to, you know, I talked about it this week, which is about their agreements, uh, renewed agreement, opening up the tap again with Amadeus and going back into that distribution purely to go after a corporate audience seems to be the, the consensus there. And maybe that's just just looking ahead at making sure that that flow of um, demand stays there and that you know with the with the downturn and corporate spending being a focus on their costs they um they they might pick up some decent business travel but that's just them looking ahead and um you know like you say the quarter four results might be even better but i just think quarter four is going to blow the roof off i think people yeah. are going to be totally shocked and surprised i think so too i think quarter four is going to um, surpass anything we've seen before but at the same time, I'd like to say that, you know, there's obviously, as we have other articles here, um, there are airlines who clearly are not profitable and who are not returning to profitability by any stretch of the imagination. So that, I, I would love to see more analysis on what is it that the guy who are so insanely profitable do really well? And what is it, you know, that the guys who are insanely unprofitable do so badly? That would be very interesting. Yes. 
And, you know, speaking of the guys who do battery, these are the two articles you alluded to there, um, and which is one is um, now learned to, to pronounce it ITA Airways and not ITA. That's from George from last week. I heard him say it, ITA Airways. So it's, it's very different. Yeah. It's the, you know, the, the new Alitalia. And we talked about it last week in length, and we had such great commentary there from George about it. But in the meantime, Stefan uh, Thiel reports about the Italian government now injecting an extra 400 mm. million euros into it, which is absolutely yeah. Insane, isn't it, Anne? It is. It is insane, and there is another optional two hundred and fifty million more, right? That can be wow. injected. And you ask yourself, well, first, actually, you know, I'm so confused by all of this. I hope you are as well. But you know, the the sort of European, which governments are allowed, and who isn't, and how much money can be. I mean, obviously, the Italians are the exception and can obviously inject as much money as they wish, right, of their taxpayers' money. And it really makes you wonder. Um, I, yeah. I'm very curious about it all. I think we talked about this, Ed, on a call about several weeks ago where an airline is really the extension of a country's brand across the world. Every air, mm-hmm. every country wants to have their own and one that carries their flag. So I think that all of that is a natural desire to have. Yeah, Whether or not they can do it well is a whole different topic. Yes. As we, as we heard from George, there's been the change of government in Italy, right? And this they've also had a change of heart as to what they want to do there. So hence, there's this, this renewed, uh, drawn out um, you know, process there and more money just going literally down a drain as, as far as we all know. And then the second article, which you know we talked about airlines not doing so great, was Fleer. Definitely a fair amount of reporting about them not uh, looking in such great shape at the moment. I do believe later in the week they secured some funding, but it's fairly short term. There's worries about them, and there's there's, there's consumer councils advising people to to prefer reuse credit cards when you buy from them. So definitely having a bit of a cash uh, issue there with Fleer, uh, which, as I said in my post, was a shame because they had all the the checkboxes going for them. And Anne, you and I are, are very much in love with that brand and model. Well, maybe not the brand name, right, but the model and the approach there. And <laughs> it's just so sad that they, they couldn't pull it through, yeah. right? Well, well let's, say, let's say not yet. I mean, they're still flying and they're still there, but it doesn't look great. Yeah, no, no, they did secure more funding, uh, as I understand, 25 million, approximately 25 million euros, right? They should have asked the Italian oh. government for some money, right, Anne? Yeah, they, they, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, they obviously, I mean, the, the Norwegians being, you know, one of the richest countries in the world, it's, <laughs> it's, it's interesting how they don't really can fork up more marketing money than for this airline, but uh, they are securing another, as I understand, uh, another 70 million euros. So we're looking at uh, roughly around, um, yeah, 9,200 million euros for FLIR. But again, I mean, you know, like 25 million, that will last you for, what, three months mm. approximately? Yes. And, and of course, it's quite worrying to see um, advising customers to pay by credit card, etc. I mean, that's, it can't really be all that good. But like you said, Rihanna, I mean, this is, we've been following this with great interest because we've seen, you know, we've seen how you move away from legacy technology and you are promoting the IOTA one order concept. And uh, they were claiming to be the first one order airline in the world. And, and of course, you know, we really are passionate about change in this industry. And then it's a bit sad when, when it just doesn't seem to work. Very sad. Ash, what do you make of the, the FLIR situation? 
I think it's a mistake when airlines try to launch like that. You know, they should have come in as a subset of maybe SAS or Finnair, become a low-cost flyer for them. And I think that that was a mistake. And now I think they're going to struggle and maybe they'll get bought out by SAS or Finnair there's or not, somebody. There's not so much to buy there. I mean, um, there's speculation. I mean, I don't want to say too much, but I mean, there's speculation that they might just turn into a, a you know, leasing out their plane type company. But, so, but I mean, SAS, <laughs> SAS can't, uh, of course, uh, I mean, they can't acquire them because they are in Chapter 11. Oh, so yeah. whether for acquisitions, um, yeah, that, that'd be interesting to to see if there are any possible acquisitions of the company. So By the way, FLIR in Swedish means to run away from. <laughs> so there you go. Mm. That is a problem. <laughs> 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 yes. This reminds me. This reminds me of that airline that started. So in America, I think the Pan Am guys, after everybody got everybody lost their jobs, they started an airline called Kiwi Airlines. And unbeknownst to anybody, the Kiwi bird is a bird that doesn't fly. That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so that was a marketing disaster. <laughs> Especially yes. wrong continent as well, right? Yeah. Yes. They did well yeah. But you know, there, there is an airline in Sweden that is called Bra, which I think is a rather strange and bizarre name. It is a local brand, though. Bra is a very strange name for them. Very strange. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Let's move on to our feature story of the week. It was a post by Dirk. Dirk, um, I'm actually going to hand over the microphone to you. If you want to do a quick introduction about yourself and then just tell us about the post you did, which was relating to, to Schiphol Airport. So welcome to the show, Dirk. Yeah, thanks, Rian, and thank you for having me on. Um, so just a bit about myself. I'm the head of sustainability at Simply Flying. We are an aviation consultancy that's worked with 100-odd airlines and airports over the past um, 12 years. My role is really, uh, you know, research into sustainability issues, which is becoming ever more critical, of course, for the industry uh, and also working with clients. The background to this, I'm sure everyone saw in the news that there were protests at Amsterdam's Schiphol Airport at the, um, at the private aviation terminal, uh, you know, the week before last. And that was part of a wider action by climate change groups in 12 countries. Um, you know, there was some that happened in the US, here in the UK, in Switzerland, where activists tried to block um, private um, aviation terminals. Their, you know, their demand being to, to sort of to, you know, to, to stop private jets because, as they see it, it has it has a sort of a higher per passenger carbon footprint than if you fly, you know, than if you fly by air, let alone if you fly by train. Um, and Ruth Zontag, the CEO of Schiphol, he released an open letter to the activists who are, you know, who came from Greenpeace, which of course is more in the mainstream, if you like, the environmental movement, and Extinction Rebellion, who are, you know, if you like, a little bit more radical and who believe in more direct action, uh, where he made a number of points. Um, and in the open letter, he talked about his own personal commitment to sustainability, saying that he had been, you know, committed to it for 25 years. He talked about, um, you know, the airport's own targets, the fact that it was committed to becoming, you know, carbon neutral by uh, 2030, and of course the aviation's 2050 goal, which was everyone knows was reinforced at ICAO um, several weeks ago. Crucially, he highlighted the impact, the economic impact that the airport makes by reminding people that you can fly to 300 destinations from Schiphol and that it really has a crucial role in the Dutch and also wider European economy without excusing the climate impacts. You know, he said, we fly to 300 destinations. This is a wonderful thing, but it has to be done better. And to me, 
that's very much the correct approach, you know, taking the the economic benefits and the need for change long term in tandem is is right. Um, and then finally, he told activists that, you know, that they are welcome, but of course, to keep things civil. Um, and a reminder, of course, that in a democratic society, you know, there is no reason why, you know, people shouldn't be able to voice their concerns um, or make their point of view heard. Uh, obviously, in a you know in a in a lawful and uh, and civil way, and of course, I do know that you know that the airport itself that a number of activists were you know were um, arrested when they uh, when they blocked the runway. Now, for me, the the letter was really a masterclass in communication around sustainability. Will Greenpeace, let alone or Extinction Rebellion, be convinced by this letter? And the answer is almost certainly no. But of course, I think at all times you have to be aware that you are communicating with a wider audience. Um, and there is, you know, copious amounts of research out that shows that the traveling public is more and more aware of their their own personal carbon footprint and how flying contributes to it. And they are starting to think about ways about how to reduce that. Um, and for that wider audience, um, you know, which still wants to go on a Christmas vacation in a few weeks time, you have to sort of to show that, you know, that, that these concerns are being taken seriously and you're engaging with the arguments in good faith. Um, so for me, it really was an example of how, you know, of how aviation leaders should communicate on sustainability rather than you still see this you know i mean there's a, even at a ceo level saying well it's only 2.7 percent and what about construction or agriculture or etc etc um and that's really what sort of prompted me to do that post so i thought about some of the the, the ceo which he did very well um uh, like like i think you've alluded to in your, in your comments just now as well there's still quite a bit of um questions there and like you say uh attitude will he will he actually make uh, an impression on those groups or, or not you said they protested elsewhere did they impact any other airports and other places or was it mostly there which people so there was a protest here in the uk in farnborough which of course is a you know it's a very large um, private aviation hub in the u.s at uh, there were a number of protests i think in seattle at charlotte douglas airport where um, a group called scientist rebellion and a very prominent scientist who's at the forefront of the climate change movement called peter kalmus is actually a nasa astrophysicist uh, and he chained himself to the doors of the private terminal at charlotte douglas um, and i believe in switzerland and a few other locations as well but it's really what happened in the netherlands that got you know most of the pickup and most of the media attention you know on quite an international scale Yes, I mean those photos of people literally clinging on to the front of the wheels of airport. It was quite quite an impression, I have to say. And Ash, did you have any comments or questions for Dirk about the story? So this is the guy that replaced uh, the other guy who quit, right? <laughs> this is the guy that replaced Rudd. the other guy. <laughs> the previous head of the airport, he resigned because he couldn't get it together. And I think when we looked at his background, we noticed that he had no prior experience in anything that we thought was valuable for him to save the airport and yes. all the issues of surrounding it. But this guy, Rudd, he seems to have a great deal of experience across the board in all sorts of CEO roles and other you know, associations he's had and board members and all that stuff. So it's not surprising that he would take this approach. So I think he did a fabulous job in how he presented the case and everything else that Dirk just mentioned. I think he's going to do really well. And I think he'll be super successful in his new role as head of all the airports in, um, in Amsterdam. Yeah, I mean, I think I think obviously, you know, in the sustainability arena, there is both a, you know, both a technical challenge, but there's a communications challenge as as, as well. And the industry, yeah. very much at the moment, is in a lot of cases is on the back foot, and they need to, you know, sort of think about how they respond to some of these concerns. And absolutely, um, it was very much a template of how you know industry leaders should respond to, you know, to sort of to, to pressures and arguments like this. 
Yes, I wanted to say excellent summary there, Dirk. Thank you so much. I agree with you so much that we need these role models. We need people who take take serious time to explain what they're doing. And there's far too much greenwashing all over the place. And like you say, there are so many that say very little and never really have any counter argumentation that is put it nicely sort of becoming it's rather embarrassing yeah Yeah, absolutely i mean i saw a report by um, an environmental consultancy called south pole the other week which claimed that that some or a minority of business leaders are engaging in so-called green hushing is what they which means that a talk do afraid you know accused of greenwashing or having press testers turning up on their doorstep or what have you and I think that that's a mistake because, you know, because what you're effectively doing is you are, you know, well, it's a mistake for two reasons. First of all, you're surrendering the public space to your opponents. Um, and if you have something to say, you should say it, but obviously you have to say it in the right way and there has to be something behind it. And secondly, the fact of the matter is, you know, this type of activity is not going to go away. Um, you know, there was a pause of it during COVID, of course, but, you know, now that we are, you know, hopefully through the other end, um, you know, and, and as, you know, and as the net zero goals, you know, become more and more into, into view, we're going to be seeing a lot more of it. Um, and industry leaders need to think about how they are going to respond to actions like this. Um, is that a real thing, green hushing? Well, green not, hushing, not is that what you said? Green washing. Green hushing, indeed. I, I, Ash, we uh, talked about we, it two, two or three shows ago, didn't we? And um, Dirk, aren't you guys writing something about this? Isn't there a report coming up about this? Because that's something uh, Ash can then read, right? Yes, yes. Uh, we do have a report about uh, about greenwashing coming out um, tomorrow, uh, uh-huh. which which will look at um, you know which will explain some of the uh, you know some of the arguments that I just mentioned and provide a way forward um, you know for the aviation industry to talk about their sustainability initiatives without being accused of, of greenwashing. Really, you know, there's two things that I highlight in the report: is first of all to engage in more storytelling. I'm giving example of a brand that does it right. I know that United got you know slated a little bit earlier. But in terms of the sustainability communications, I think they do it very, very well. Um, and secondly, what we call, you know, not marking your own homework. So getting, um, you know, sort of bodies such as the such as the science-based targets initiative on board to sort of to audit your targets and to, you know, to say that they are reputable and, uh, you know, and serious. Yeah, and I look forward to the report, uh, Doug. I think that should be very nice to see. Is that going to be on the Simplifying website? And I'm sure you'll post about it in your profile, right? I will. It'll be on It'll be on our green hub, which is green.simplifying.com. It'll okay, be there brilliant. Tomorrow. I do have a follow-up question for you. I just want to say hi to some other familiar faces I'm seeing in the audience there. We really appreciate you there. Alex, uh, Gavin from Element, Mayo Taborda. Uh, yeah, thank you for joining. Uh, it's very nice to see you guys. <laughs> I have uh, stories around hotels, actually. I'm going to start bringing hotel stories to this call because I feel like we don't have that many of those. So um, Marriott International uh, has launched a new extended stay brand uh, in the U.S. and Canada for now, but they're going to push it out into other parts of the world. And they're calling it Apartments by Marriott Bonvoy. And it's to appeal to the upper mid-scale and luxury apartment style stay. It allows uh, people to, um, you know, kind of like an apartment, like you're taking out an apartment. And so it's going to have all the bells and whistles of the Marriott global loyalty programs and everything else that's associated with Marriott. But this is a new brand that they're going to be putting out into the market very soon. So Ash, my only comment on that is why has it taken them so long to do that? Right. Wasn't it obvious that there's a, a market for that with, you know, the likes of Airbnb and people wanting to rent, you know, upmarket apartments and that sort of stuff? Why take so long? Why only now? Because it should be obvious, shouldn't it? Because Marriott has uh, done everything this way. 
since the beginning. <laughs> and ever since they bought Starwood, they have become very, very slow in everything that they do. Oh, wow. So it's not surprising. And by the way, they're they're struggling a lot because they have a lot of issues. Their members are always upset. They have too many fees everywhere. They need a bit of advice there from our friend Mark Ross Smith, right? He'll sort them out, right? Andrew? Exactly. Yes, exactly. he would. He would. And uh, the other news that I want to share is that uh, Tao restaurants, do you guys know about Tao? They have a whole bunch of um, restaurants. They're very big on the entertainment portfolio. They have nightclubs all over Vegas and all these hotels, but they are launching a new hotel. So they're getting into the hotel business and uh, they're launching their first one in 2025 in Orlando. And um, it's going to have retail outlets and office space and residential apartments as well as a hotel. And uh, so this is a new entrant into the world of hotels. I like these hotel stories, Josh. You're very right. We are very airline heavy in our in our talks normally. So I, I applaud you for that. Uh, we should try and bring in a car rental story next week as well. But, yeah. Really exciting news in the car rental industry. But um yeah, it's it is it is good. And when you pronounce that name, I thought you said towel, but uh it's towel, right? No. Okay. But they do have towels, in case oh, you're aware. Hopefully. There you go. Hopefully. hopefully. From my side, I want to once again thank Dirk for joining us today. And for those in the audience, we really appreciate your time. Um, we do this weekly. My name is Rian, and thank you from my side. And thank you from my side, and especially thank you, Dirk, for joining us today. From my side also, Dirk, appreciate all your insight. And thank you for joining the session today. We host this LinkedIn audio call every week on Monday, and it is all about linking the travel industry. Please share this event with everybody that you know. Special shout out to Mohit for the wonderful post that you put out there. We appreciate that greatly. And we thank you very, very much for that. And if you cannot make it because of time zone or availability, please know that we do record this session and make it available as a podcast on businesstravel360.com. You can subscribe to it by searching Business Travel 360 on any of your podcast players. This is Linking the Travel Industry, signing off. 